0: Romans 5. Last week we looked at the patriarch, the father. Now we're going to look at the oldest, Adam. Last week we came to understand that Jesus is the Son of God. This Sunday we get to learn that Jesus, through Adam, is the son of man. Adam's an interesting cat. Many of you know the story. God created and placed man and woman, man, as the pinnacle of His creation, made in His own image. And He placed them in this garden, the Garden of Eden, and told them they could eat of any tree that they wanted except for one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, For in the day you eat of it, God said, you'll surely die. And many of you are familiar with the story. The uh, enemy, Satan, came in the form of a serpent, for the serpent was more subtle than the beast of the field and came and presented himself to Eve and persuaded her to take of the apple, or excuse me, the fruit. We call it an apple, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She ate and then gave to her husband. He ate. And then they ran when they heard the voice of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they ran and hid themselves. They realized they were naked. They sewed together fig leaves and hid in the trees. And God called them out. God went and looked and brought them before His presence and got to the heart of the issue. And as they tried to blame one another, the the woman tried to blame the serpent. The man tried to blame the woman. Um, As all of that happened, God pronounced both judgments and cursings down upon the earth. And from that, the Bible tells us that sin came upon man because of their disobedience. But God told Adam and Eve something. In the midst of pronouncing the curses and judgment that were going to happen as a result of their sin, He turned to the serpent and pronounced a curse on the serpent. But He also said something awesome. And in Scripture, it's really our first prophecy concerning Jesus Christ. It's, it's really the first Christmas story, and it happened in Genesis. And God told the enemy that the seed of the woman would come and would bruise his head. Now think about this for a moment. The seed of the woman would come and would bruise his head. And I don't know what was going through Adam's mind at that time. I know that he had just undergone a lot living in a paradise, living in a perfect relationship with his wife, a perfect relationship, perfect union with God. And yet, when sin came, all of that crashed. And I can't even begin to fathom what was going on in his mind. But in, in the book of Genesis, after God pronounces the curse, Adam says the Bible records something. It says that Adam called his wife Eve because she was the mother of all the living. And I have to believe that that name Eve, the mother of all of the living, I believe that it had to do something in his mind, knowing that there was going to be a child, there was going to be offspring that was going to come. And even though we have seen death and destruction and deterioration as a result of sin, Adam still named his wife Eve, because she was the mother of all the living. They had two boys, Cain and Abel. You know the story. One despised the other, was jealous of the other. One brought the good sacrifice of the sheep of the land. The other brought a sacrifice of the field. One sacrifice was accepted, the other was not. And Cain rose up against his brother Abel and murdered him in a field. And then failed to fess up to it what happened to that what happened to that promise of God you see one of the children was dead now and the only one that was living had just been banished Cain had been given a mark that wherever he went people would see that mark and fear him because God didn't want retribution to come on Cain it was a mark of grace Cain was to be a vagabond all the days of his life. He was to be a wanderer all the rest of his days. So what happened to that promise? How would the seed of the woman come if one son is dead and the other one is a wanderer, a wandering murderer? The Bible tells us that Adam knew his wife again and she bore him a son. And the son's name was Seth. And Eve says, I named him Seth because... He is the appointed one. God has appointed me another child. You see, I think of something this Christmas time. I think that sometimes we may think that we've absolutely totally messed up. There may be moments in our life where we feel as though we have failed God and other people. We may look and see standards of of Christians from other people, and we may look and say, man, I'm never really going to measure up to them. And we may hear Scriptures about how we're supposed to live, and we think, man, I've really messed up. And maybe you have legitimately messed up. Let me assure you, none of you have messed up on the scale of Adam and Eve. Let's put it in perspective. None of you have brought condemnation upon all the race. That's a mess-up. But even in the midst a mess up that size, God still worked to bring about a Redeemer through the lineage of Seth. You see, both Matthew and Luke record the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Matthew writing to a largely Jewish, predominantly Jewish audience, trying to confirm to them that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. He takes the genealogy all the way back to Abraham. Luke, trying to communicate to everybody that Jesus is not just the Messiah. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the King of Kings. He is the Savior for all the world, Jew and Gentile alike. Luke takes his genealogy past Abraham all the way back to Adam and then ultimately to God. And I want to pick up this morning in this story in Romans chapter 5. Because in Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul lines up both of these men. One of them is the first Adam, and in in, in Paul's other letter, 1 Corinthians, in chapter 15, Jesus is referred to as the second Adam. So here, we see not just Adam, we see what is referred to in this sense as the son of Adam. You know, you've heard the term son of man. It was one of Jesus' favorite ways to self-designate himself. He referred to himself as son of man even more than he referred to himself as son of God. And it was a way, no doubt, for the Jewish folks to be able to make that understanding as Ezekiel was referred to, I believe, 93 times as the Son of Man in his prophecy. So he's able to connect with the Jewish audience, but it did more than to connect his Jewish audience to who he was. It was an opportunity for him to communicate, I am not just... The Son of God in that I am 100% God, but I am also the Son of Man. I am clothed in flesh. I am Emmanuel, God with us. I am God 100% and man 100% as well. Son of Man. Son of Adam in this sense. Notice in Romans chapter 5. What a beautiful chapter. Verse 6. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Can we get an amen on verse six? Wow. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us Just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense, for if by one man's offense many died, Adam, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification." For if by one man's offense death reign through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Let me stop in verse 17. It does obviously continue. We see where he is now contrasting both Adam and Jesus. And I want you to see in this text, first it reveals that there's a problem. A problem this is why God had to send His Son, Jesus Christ, because there is a problem, not a problem that God did not foresee. It's not something that took Him off guard. It's not as though God said, oh man, we're, we're what, 30 years into this thing, or three minutes, or, or three days into this thing, and they've already messed it up. Now I've got to go to plan B. No, it didn't work like that. You see, God already knew all of this was going to take place. It's the beautiful mystery of His foreknowledge. And the Bible tells us here that the problem was a specific problem. In fact, if you look at it, it's almost as though Paul is writing and and, and communicating to the world that this problem was not just just sin. He refers to it almost in disease-like terminology. Notice what he says in verse number 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. The problem was sin that came from Adam. Adam and Eve, sinning, they bore children who also had that sin nature, being bent toward sin, a desire, a propensity, if you will, to sin, to do what was wrong rather than to do what was right. If you think about it, those of you that have children, or have had children, or grandchildren or nieces and nephews. We don't have to teach them how to be bad, do we? We don't have to teach them how not to share. We don't have to teach them how to say bad things. We don't have to teach them how to lie. They know it. They're very good at it. In fact, if you think about it, it's the other way around. We have to teach them how to tell the truth. We have to teach them how to share. We have to teach them how to love because no matter how cute my kids are and how cute your grandkids are and how wonderful we may think they are, they have a sin problem too. We are born with that sin nature passed down through Adam. We can't get around it. We've all got the same genealogy in a sense in that we have all come as descendants from Adam and Eve, we all have that problem, and the Bible makes it clear. It, it, the problem is sin. Where did it come from? Adam. He messed up big. Where did it go? To all men. Notice, notice this. It spread. It, it's spread. It's the spiritual, deadly epidemic. Isn't it ironic? That if I was to tell you that there was someone in the hospital this week that had been that had contracted Ebola. And they were in our hospital. I'm not going to tell you which one, because they are not. This is what we refer to as in preaching as an illustration. Okay? if I said that, if I got up and said, you know what, there's a confirmed case of Ebola in one of our hospitals, what would you do? I know what you would do. What would the rest of us do? Would we head to our bunkers? Would we head to our cars right now? Think about it. We would be, we, many of us would be thinking, hey, wait a second, that's a pretty serious deal. That, that, that can spread, right? And, and that can kill people. That, that's a bad deal. When it comes down to diseases, we often get really alerted. But I want, to, I want you to think about something for a moment. Sin is by far greater disease than Ebola. Sin makes Ebola look like a poison ivy rat. Think about it. Seriously, put this in context. If we had Ebola here, we would be many would be freaking out, guys. I'll tell you what, it wouldn't matter how sick you were, you wouldn't be going to the hospital here. You'd be finding somewhere else to go. The first time you had a cough, the first thought that would be in your mind is, have I contracted it? Who did I shake hands with? Were they at the hospital? Let me tell you something, guys. Our fellowship line out there would be a whole lot shorter because you know my wife works there. But when it comes to sin... Guys, Ebola can just destroy your body. Ebola can just kill this. Sin separates a person from God for all eternity. Sin puts them in hell forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. There is never a moment when that soul will ever find refuge from the flames of hell and the torments. And yet we often think so much of diseases, and yet the Bible here is describing sin not as though you have to contract it. You have it. You have to find the remedy. It's not like, oh, I hope I don't get sin. No, you got it. You know why you got it? Because you were born. You are alive. You have that sin nature in this flesh. It's not about not contracting it. It's about finding the remedy sin that's what god did why did he make his son come be born of a virgin to be born among men to be clothed in flesh because he is the remedy it came by adam it spread to all and it brought about death there shouldn't be ever any 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 doubt in our mind that sin is a reality sin brought death none of our bodies last forever Notice this contrast, second thing. I want you to look at some words. This this problem has brought about, has revealed a contrast in the scriptures. I want you to notice quickly the word, the different words that are used to describe those who are still under sin and those who have found justification in Jesus Christ. In chapter 5, verse 1. Paul, one who has encountered Christ as Savior, who has been born again, uses the word peace. He has peace. Notice in chapter 5, verse 9. Much more than having now been justified. you know what justified means? I love the definition of justified this way. It means just as if I'd never sinned. Justified, just as if I'd never sinned. Meaning God has taken and, and made me acceptable in His sight through the death of His Son, Jesus Christ. He has made it so that I, it is just as if I'd never sinned. In verse 9, we have the word saved. Verse 10, we have the word reconciled. Verse 11, we have the word rejoice, received. Free gift. Let me read those words quickly one more time. Peace, access, glory, justified, saved, reconciled, rejoiced, received. Great words. Great words to describe the life of the believer. But now notice Adam's or Paul's words for those who are outside of salvation. Verse 9 we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies, we got wrath and enemies. In verse 12, and thus death spread to all men because all sin. We've got wrath, enemies of God, death. Verse 16, we've got judgment, condemnation, death, wrath. Judgment, condemnation. Death, wrath, judgment, condemnation on one side. On the other side, peace, justification, access, love. Paul could not have painted a clearer picture of the difference that that problem makes, that that problem reveals. Because there are two groups of people in the world, those who have trusted Christ and those who have not, it makes this a very black and white determination. Notice the third part this morning, a problem that revealed a contrast that led to a remedy. Verse 9 Much more then, having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. What's the remedy? Paul says it's justification through Jesus Christ. You see that great span, that great chasm, if you will, between us and God was our sin. And what Paul says is this, the first Adam made that space. The second Adam came to bridge that gap. He bridged that gap through, you could think of, the cross beam on the cross. Providing a bridge for man to be able to go to God. Why? We studied this last week. How did he do it? Because being 100% God, he could. Being 100% man, he did. He fulfilled the requirements of God's standard of holiness that we could not. He provided for us that bridge that we were unable to get across. It was too wide, too deep, too far. We were incapable of spanning it. And that is why God sent his son. What is it? It's justification. Where did it come from? Jesus Christ. Jesus is mentioned perfectly in this specifically six times. Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus Christ, Christ in our text this morning. How did it come? Guys, here's the beautiful part. How did it come? Well, it tells us in verse 6, 7, and 8 how it came. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man some would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How did it come? It came to incapable, undeserving sinners. We were enemies of God. There were none of us that were reaching out for him. None of us were initiating this relationship. None of us were saying, God, uh, we're sinners and we need you to do something. We were so morally bankrupt that God had to be the one to initiate this offering for our sake. It's not just to us, but it's through His son, much more than verse nine, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Came two undeserving sinners. Through a perfect savior. How do we get it? How does it become ours? Can we earn it? If we could earn it. Guys, there are some that believe we can earn our salvation. There are some that believe that they can do enough good things to undo or outweigh the bad that they've done. And I would tell you that those that believe that they can earn their justification with God... They have too high of a view of their own selves and too low of a view of God's holiness. When we really understand the holiness of God, really understand what it means to be without sin, we find ourselves being much like Isaiah saying, Woe is me, for I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people. We find ourselves condemned. We couldn't buy it. We couldn't earn it. The Bible says it is the free gift of grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith. We know that it requires us to be able to say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know you sent your son to bridge that gap from me to you through his perfect life, his death on my behalf, and his resurrection from the grave. And today I receive." I believe and I receive that free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. That's how it happens. We know it's through faith, but notice what the Apostle Paul told the Ephesians. It is by grace through faith. Yes, we we, we promote faith. We have to have believing, saving faith in Jesus Christ. But Paul backs it up a little bit. And he says, you know what? You could have had all the faith in the world, but had God not had the grace... To be able to provide that plan of salvation, we would still be lost. It is by grace through faith. Why why is Christ referred to as the second Adam? Why did He refer to Himself as the Son of Man more times than any other title in the Scriptures? It's because He wanted us to know. He was clothed with flesh like us to live a life in this world. To live a perfect life, never sinning, never missing the mark. Being the perfect, absolute, holy sacrifice for you and for me. And today, we have the opportunity to respond to that free gift of salvation. Some of you may know that you're saved. Some of you may have been saved for a long time in your life. Let me ask you this, who needs to hear this message today? I believe there are some here today that may have never trusted Christ as their Savior. And today is the day they unwrap the greatest Christmas gift ever. And yet many of us know people outside of these four walls that have a disease by far worse than Ebola. And without them coming to the remedy, they will die and spend eternity in a devil's hell. All the while they have a God who loves them and us who love them as well to inform them of this message. He is the Son of God, and He is the Son of Man. What is it? What questions does this leave for you? I believe that probably every one of us in here believes in the existence of God. We, we probably don't struggle with that so much, but my question is this. Do you believe, ah, does God really love me? And the Scripture makes it very clear. Yes, God loves you. In fact, the words poured out upon us are even used to describe His love. Some of you may say, well, I've messed up a bunch. The Scripture also tells us where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. It is impossible for you to mess up so many times that God stops loving you. It is impossible for God to love you more than He does right now. You may say, well, wait a second. I've got to get some things straight in my life before I come to faith in Christ. It's not what the Bible says. For When we were without strength, while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. You can't clean yourself up enough for God. He's the only one who does the cleaning. Today, church, are there any of you here this morning that do not know Jesus? You don't have that peace inside that Paul talked about. You have questions in your heart and in your mind on if you have ever really been born again. Today's the day to get that ironed out. This is the moment. Don't take another step. Don't take another breath without knowing for sure that you have trusted Christ and began that relationship. Christians, maybe you started that relationship a long time ago. Are you bearing the image of the heavenly? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 the apostle there speaking about the resurrection says there's a natural man and a spiritual man. Natural man came from Adam. The spiritual man came from Christ. And he reminds us that our job as Christians and God's plan for us is that we may bear the image of the heavenly. What is that salvation that you possess done in your life? How has it changed you? How are you bearing the image of Jesus Christ, your Savior?